This passage of the healing of the lepers is from a section of Luke's gospel, sometimes called Luke's special section, or other times um, the travel dialogue, the travel journey in Luke's gospel. It's a nine-chapter section where Luke has reorganized what's in the other gospels and added stuff that is not in any of the other gospels. And it's a nine-chapter section where they're traveling from Galilee in the north through Samaria to end in Jerusalem, and it ends on Palm Sunday. So this section is Luke's, uh, is Jesus' attempt to teach the disciples how to be disciples, how to serve, how to pray, um, how to teach. In this section, um, they're taught the Lord's Prayer. They're, uh, they're, um, they hear the Good Samaritan parable. They hear the prodigal son, the, uh, the woman with the lost coin, the lost sheep. This is all about how do you be a disciple. In the middle of this section is this episode of the, of the curing of the lepers. They kind of interrupt Jesus' class. They interrupt his teaching. Have mercy on us, Master. It says they stand at a distance. In that time, leprosy was basically any skin disease. And it was considered highly contagious. Any skin disease was considered highly contagious. Um, when a person was healed, cured, they would, um, they would go to the priest and the priest would certify them as cured so that they could enter back into the community. The way lepers were handled was they were isolated, they were quarantined. If any of you have seen the movie Ben-Hur, um, you know how they were put in camps and, and ostracized. They were kept separate. Uh, there's one rabbinic teaching of if it's a windy day, a leper must be at least 50 yards from any healthy person. That way the wind wouldn't blow the disease on a healthy person. In the Middle Ages, lepers wore bells to announce that they were in the neighborhood and that we could run from a leper and not be uh, in contaminated. You could argue that we have advanced in our treatment of lepers. Yet, skin diseases, skin problems, skin issues are still with us that isolate us and sometimes ostracize us. Skin color itself could be a way of isolating people. Many of us have memories of junior high and high school when we were getting ready to go to a party or out on a date and that massive pimple would appear in a very prominent place, you know, you know and you ugh, God, he looks awful. You know, acne, you know, could kind of ostracize us. 
moles and warts and skin cancers kind of isolate us. Last, early last year, I had some skin cancers on my face, and um, initially I thought they were pimples, and I was really excited to have a pimple. I thought, oh my gosh, it's been decades since I had a pimple. I'm still young. This is great, you know. My skin's still got some life in it. And, and um, the, the thing would uh, periodically rupture and, you know, and bleed, and it, blood would run down my cheek and, and, you know, run onto my clothes. And finally, Susan said, you know, you're making the bed messy. You're bleeding on the pillow. You're bleeding on towels. Get it fixed. Okay, I was kind of ostracized in my own home. Um, so, it, you know, I went to a dermatologist and got it fixed. Well, now I'm on the dermatologist email blast. And about every two weeks, I get an email from the dermatologist about some skin cream that will, um, will help me and make me more acceptable in society. Uh, and, you know, it'll come with pictures of various uh, skin, skin ailments. And the, the latest uh, salve was called, I forget the name of it, but, but the slogan was, live clear, live free. Yeah, and so if I just use this, this ointment, I would be free. Yeah. So, skin diseases are still, and skin issues are still with us. They stood at a distance. Have mercy on us, Master. Who cries mercy? People who are isolated and ostracized. The last six weeks or so in the news, we've been hearing women crying, have mercy, because they couldn't cry mercy 30, 40, 20 years ago. Nobody would listen. Have mercy. Hear me, I feel isolated by what's happened. It happens to men, too, as we hear young boys who have been molested come out because they couldn't say anything when it happened. And they're saying, I'm going to end the isolation. Have mercy. When we're ashamed, when we're guilty, we feel isolated and alone. When, we, when our relationship, when our marriage breaks up, we feel isolated and alone and we cry mercy. When we've just learned that we have a very serious disease and we feel like we're the only person in the world, we cry, have mercy. When we're closeted and we can't tell anybody about our orientation, we cry, have mercy. It's hard to think of any of us who haven't, for some reason, felt isolated and alone and have not cried mercy, and we cry it because we want to be let back in. We want to be let back into society, let, let back in to a community. We want to have a sense of, 
of belonging and being wanted and being needed. So we cry, have mercy. I'm going to argue that most of us are here today because we cried mercy and we felt let back in by this community. So they cry that to Jesus, and Jesus um, says to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. This is the certification. Now it's interesting that Jesus doesn't put any requirements on them. He doesn't say you have to believe this, you have to go to synagogue so often, you have to give so much. He doesn't put any requirements on them. He just says go and show yourself to the priest. And they go and they haven't been cured yet. They're healed, they're cured as they go. And all ten are cured. But one, a Samaritan, an outsider, who would have already been treated as alone, and a foreigner who would have been treated as alone, only this one person comes back and falls at Jesus' feet and thanks him. And Jesus says, weren't there nine others who were cured? Weren't, weren't all of them cured? Why is it only one has come back to give thanks? You know, Jesus is making a clear distinction between being cured and being healed. At the end, he says, go your way. Your faith has healed you. In other translations, it's go your way. Your faith has made you whole. In other translations, your faith has made you well. And finally, some say your faith has saved you. But there's a distinction between curing and being made well. And we kind of experience that. There are some people who will be cured, but they're not changed. They continue to live as they've always lived. And there are other people who are cured, but they change. It says the man turned back. He was cured and he turned back. You know, and there are people who turn back. They change their life. They change their behavior. They change their attitude. They change their priorities. They're made well. And for Jesus, the difference between being cured and being made well, being made whole, is gratitude. Was there only one to give thanks. We might be cured in our body, but our mind and our spirit might be all out of whack, and we're not whole. And for Jesus, what makes us whole is gratitude. Your faith has made you well. Might as well say your gratitude has made you well.
Who would you rather spend time with? A grateful person or an ungrateful person? Oh man, I love hanging around ungrateful people. You know, they whine, they complain, they find fault. I mean, don't they just sap your energy? And then grateful people, they bless, they're interested, they're interesting. They energize us and make us more. I don't know, about six or seven weeks ago, we had two members who were in the James. And one was Georgia Bloom. And I, I visited her first, and then I planned to go see Chris Bradley. And as I was leaving George's room, George's husband said to me, you know, where are you going now? And I said, well, I'm going to go down, down to the 14th floor to see Chris Bradley. And he said, you think I could go with you? And I said, sure, you know, we'll knock on the door and find out if Chris will let you in. And... <laughs> And so Steve and I, and Steve has played the trumpet here on Christmas Eve and Easter, and so he's known by many of us by the choir. And, um, and so we knocked on, on Chris's door, and Chris said, you know, come on in, and we put on our masks. And, you know, and I said, you know, Chris, do you, do you remember Steve? Oh, yeah, I know Steve, I know Steve. And he said, Steve, you know, why, you know, why are you here? I, I, you know, I, I, I heard about Georgia. How's Georgia doing? And so on. And for the next 15 or 20 minutes, I just stood there and listened to Chris show total interest in Steve and Georgia's situation and just asked all kinds of questions and, and give them all kinds of hope, hope and optimism. And I stood there and I thought... If you just came in, you would have no idea that Chris has cancer. You'd have no idea. And I thought, he's whole. He's well. He knows what gratitude is. He's fighting this leukemia, but he's whole. And he's well. And he's saved. We like to be around people like that, don't we? They make us whole. Gratitude, a doctor and sermon starter said, gratitude changes the chemistry of our brain and really makes us different. That gratitude makes us less abusive. When we're grateful, we cherish things and we appreciate them. We don't manipulate them and we don't exploit them. When we're, when we're grateful, we feel connected to the larger world. Just the act of saying thank you connects us to something and someone and that immediately overcomes that loneliness. We do feel like we belong and matter when we're grateful. 
It increases our awareness of the world around us. And then, you know, gratitude increases our awareness of ourselves. You know, we need other people. We're aware that we are loved. We're not, none of us are totally self-sufficient. We're connected. Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. I think it's more likely that I'm grateful, therefore I am. It's my gratitude that separates me from the animals. Abraham Heschel says, the truth of a human being is gratitude. When we're grateful, we're human. And its secret is appreciation, he says. And he says, gratitude makes our soul great. Makes our soul, don't we want great souls? What do we experience more in our society? Gratitude or ingratitude? Don't we hear when we turn on the radio and the TV lots of complaining, lots of fault finding, everything that's wrong with everybody? Are we an appreciative society? Heschel says, humanity will not perish for lack of information, but it will perish for lack of gratitude. This written by a person who fled Poland just ahead of the Nazis. He knows what gratitude is. The primary attribute, the primary cause of faith isn't duty, what we have to do. It's gratitude. The Ten Commandments don't start with all the thou shalts and thou shalt nots. It starts with a simple, they start with a simple statement, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of isolation, who brought you out of confinement. I am the Lord your God who heard your cry for mercy and I delivered you. Therefore, honor your father and your mother. Therefore, do not lie. The reason why we keep the Ten Commandments is because we're a grateful people. The reason why we do a pledge card is because we're grateful. The reason why we sing is because we're grateful. The reason why we serve is because we're grateful. The reason why we pray is because we're grateful. This uh, passage is in the midst of Luke's travel journey where they're learning how to be disciples. And initially this story of the curing of the lepers seems like an interference and an interruption for all the serious lecturing that Jesus is doing. 
But it's critical for disciples. Because the primary attribute for a disciple is gratitude. We're really not disciples unless we're grateful. When we take communion, we begin the communion service by lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And then we say, it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. It is right. We know it's right to give thanks. Our parents told us to give thanks. Thank your Aunt Bertha for those slippers. Write that note. We know what's right. Call Uncle Ray. Thank him for that gift card. And it's good. And it's good. It's good for our neighbor to hear thankfulness. It's good to be connected to each other. And it's a joyful thing. And it is. Because gratitude makes us great souls and makes us human beings and lifts up our lives and fills them. Our lives and others. It'd be good probably twice a day in the morning and the evening to just look in the mirror and say, it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God. Amen.